Hello and welcome in to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. I'm National Recruiting Analyst Cooper Patagna alongside 24-7 Sports Director of Scouting Andrew Ivins. we got a great show for you today, this Wednesday. Introducing a new segment, Guys Playing Like Dudes. We're going to evaluate the senior season. A couple of our favorites so far, three for me, three for Andrew. We'll also talk about future recruiting power rankings in the Big Ten in the SEC. Andrew and I will pick our top four teams in each conference. And then also another news segment, the Vibe Check with Chris Hummer. Our boy is on standby already. He is a trooper. We're ready to go. A lot to talk about, Drew. So let's jump right into it. But first, Drew, I think you got one little thing. There's something on your mind right now. What is it? There is, man. I was on 247sports.com, one of those featured stories exclusive stories i don't know what you call them but they show up in front of you manny diaz on the hot board for uscfootball.com for that defensive coordinator opening cooper we were talking about it yesterday right what direction does usc go i think manny diaz could make a ton of sense now i don't know if he would take that job if he would leave penn state you know this is a guy that has a ton of ties to the state of florida i think to me manny diaz would make more sense for a head coach opening Uh, Last year, he interviewed at Florida Atlantic. They ended up going with Tom Herman. But I think Manny Diaz, his name is going to be in the headlines the closer and closer we get to December and the end of the season. I mean, his defense right now, the Nittany Lions, number six overall for sharp college football. It's an analytic website I like to use. Number one in rush defense, number four in negative drives. And Coop, why I like that potential marriage between USC uh, and Manny Diaz is because I think his unit and his system, what he runs, would fit in the Big Ten, right? It's a 4-3 look. They can stop the run. I don't know. That's an exciting name for me. Again, I don't know if it's going to work out, but I thought that was certainly interesting. I'll tell you this. There's an opening at NC State. I would check, keep an eye on Manny Diaz there. Yeah, GA there was a position coach for five years, and I think that would make some sense if things were to open up. Drew, the the other part of this we talked about yesterday on the show, we talked about the overhaul that needs to happen on the defensive side of the football for USC. It's not just a roster construction, I think, issue in Los Angeles, but it's also player development as well. I think Manny Diaz has that reputation. What do you what do you think about Manny Diaz, the recruiter, and what that potential fit would look like under Lincoln Riley at USC? Well, I don't think that is one of his strong suits if you talk to Miami fans and maybe even some Penn State fans. But player development-wise, we've seen it for Manny Diaz over the years. And what's interesting is he can tweak those defenses. They can shut down the run. They can shut down the pass. Go back to 2018 uh, when Mark Richt was at Miami. Uh, the U, that's when the turnover chain started. They were excellent. Uh, number one defense that season against the pass. Number nine in negative drive. So I just think Manny Diaz... Uh, I don't know if he would be the guy to get the stars there, but I think he would embrace recruiting the high school ranks. Um, and, and again, you know, growing talent in-house and then supplementing the transfer portal uh, to fill some holes with maybe some veterans. A couple other names you see right there, Jimmy Lake, the former head coach of the University of Washington. You also have Pete Kwiatkowski, current defensive coordinator at the University of Texas, also served under Jimmy Lake at the University of Washington. I don't know about you, Drew. I feel like Manny Diaz has found his calling as a defensive coordinator, and he's found a nice spot where he is appreciated up there in Happy Valley under James Franklin. I think they're doing a beautiful job in terms of talent acquisition, building that roster defensively. We'll see what happens. USC needs to get this roster right. Guys, you are watching the 24-7 Sports 
football recruiting podcast with the director of scouting, Andrew Ivins, and myself, Cooper Patekin, every Tuesday and Wednesday at 5 o'clock Eastern time. And we appreciate you joining us today. Make sure to smash that subscribe button and that like button as well. All right, Drew, new segment, Guys Playing Like Dudes. I like this one and uh, three for three. Like I said, I'll pick three. You'll pick three. We're going to start with you. Who you got first? Terrell Anderson, wide receiver out of North Carolina. This is a kid that's committed to NC State and the Wolfpack. Georgia trending on the crystal ball. It seems like they have pivoted to him, and it's easy to see why. I mean, this is a kid who is having a monster senior season there for Grimsley, which is 11-0 and averaging over 50 points a game. Uh, Terrell, 49 catches, 861 yards, 11 touchdowns. Cooper, to me, I think he's one of those guys where you – you forget about maybe the lack of a top-end gear. He can go get the football on the outside. He's super competitive after the catch. You see the catch radius right there. I mean, he goes and gets the football. Uh, I've long been a fan of him. I loved the junior tape. I like the senior tape even more. Uh, long stride. I think he's a, a guy that can win on the outside in the SEC, ACC, Big Ten, wherever you put him. So to me, this is a guy I feel really good about, and I'm glad we moved him into the top 247 before Georgia came calling, right? Really nice find by Dave Doran, NC State, and the Wolfpack. They have the number 31-ranked recruiting class according to the 24-7 sports composite team rankings. Drew, I think a lot of people thought, how is Georgia going to respond losing Nikar, another top 247 receiver, earlier in the year to Miami? That was a big loss. They got Nitro Tuggle in there as well, super talented out of the state of Indiana. If they can get Terrell Anderson, that would be a huge gift for Brian McClendon. So Terrell Anderson having a huge senior season. Drew, for me, I'm going to go to a guy in the state of Florida that is safety Xavier Mincy out of Mainland, teammate of five-star LJ McCray. And Drew, we got him listed as a safety. He's played a lot of corner this year. This guy's 6'2", three quarters, 177 pounds, six foot seven wingspan at that size. Pretty impressive. Also popped off a four-five-six, a excellent track and field background in the high jump, the long jump, and the triple jump as well. I think he can play man. I think he can play zone. He's got excellent key and diagnosability. He is a very heady defender. You see here also not afraid to stick his head in there and run support. Drew, I like this kid, and, and part of the reason I like the kid, I love the length, I love the physical traits, but I love the position versatility as well. You know a thing or two about this guy. I think the other thing when you turn on the tape, the football temperament. Right now, Florida, Billy Napier, they lead. They have 100% of the crystal balls. They have the number three ranked class in the country. Drew, this would kind of be the cherry on top for me. They've done an extremely good job not only on the defensive line, but in the secondary with Corey Raymond. I know Miami's after this guy. Uh, he's going to have a lot of attention here uh, down the stretch as we inch forward to signing day. What do you like about Xavier Mincy, Drew? Well, Daytona Beach, the dirt, man. Home of Vince Carter. Uh, and Zay Mincy's going to announce at the All-American Bowl. I think you should point that out, Cooper. You know, Miami, Florida. We all, When we talk about mainland, it's been LJ McCray, but Zay Mincy uh, is also a blue chipper there. I'm coming around. You said we have him listed as a safety. I'm starting to buy in using him as a field or even a boundary corner. Get that length on the outside. Who cares what happens in the back third, because I think from the that you know for t first 10 to 15 yards, he can cover it up. Uh, you mentioned the track and field data. I mean, he's a guy that plays above the shoulder pads. I was there, I don't know, two months ago for a game to see LJ McCray, Zay Mincy. I mean, it seems like he jumped up into the stratosphere to go knock down a football as he came across the field. So I'm a big fan as well. We're going to see him again in San Antonio at the All-American Bowl, and I'm interested to see how he hangs up 
you know, against these quicker wide receivers that are on the roster. Drew, quick uh, geography check for us. Where is that in your backyard, by the way? Mainland? Yeah. That, in that relation is a, to that you. Is, that is a three-hour drive, but I don't mind it because there's a Bucky's there, right? Got to load up on the on the uh, seasonings for the smoker. It's it's a, a favorite trip of mine. Shout out Bucky's if you haven't been to a Bucky's. Fantastic experience. Open 24 <laughs> hours. Love Bucky's. Maybe we get them to sponsor the show. Big Bucky's guys over here. Drew, we are quickly becoming. I don't know. We're Blake Baker, defense coordinator in Mizzou, friend of the pod. We like what they're doing. Eli Drinkwitz, we've been talking about him a little bit more. But you got a lo- you got some love here for a uh, Mizzou commit out of the state of Florida. Yeah, Elias Williams. What's crazy about him, man, is I remember back in January, he was visiting like UCF and USF. Elias Williams just took an official visit to Alabama. You have Tennessee sniffing around on him. And then you turn on this senior tape, and it's easy to see why. This is a kid that has the ideal frame. He's got big measurements, you know, a six foot nine wingspan, 10 inch hands. Uh, and then that first step is super impressive. He is strong at the point of attack. I think if we're talking about SEC defenses, this is a guy that can be a four eye in an odd man front. We moved him up in the rankings last go around. I think there's a chance he could potentially earn a fourth star uh, in advance of the early signing period because he's been that good as a senior at Hudson High School. Cooper, don't ask me where that is. I've never been there in Florida. I just know it's on the West Coast. So, no, Elias Williams, uh, you know, I wrote him up this morning. Reminds me a little of Daryl Jackson, the former Maryland defensive lineman who went to Miami, ended up at, uh, where is he, Florida State now, not playing and didn't get the waiver from the NCAA. Uh, But, you know, Guy that's put on 25-plus pounds, you dig into his profile a little bit more, state qualifier in the discus, watch the basketball tape, he's dunking on people. Elias Williams, I think he's a little hidden gem in the Sunshine State. Mizzou's fascinating to me because it's a combination of what they're doing right now in IL. williams Winery kind of comes to mind, right? They were in the thick of things with Ryan Wingo. We know about Luther Burden as well. But, Drew, they still have to play this game, right? Talent identification and evaluation at the forefront of everything that they're doing. A couple years ago, Makai Wingo was one of those guys that they ID'd. He ends up transferring to LSU, one of the best players on LSU's defensive front. If they can keep Elias Williams in the boat, Drew, you mentioned Alabama, Tennessee starting to sniff around a little little bit. Those big bodies are hard to, hard to come by. Eli Drinkwitz obviously making them uh, a considerable premium for his program. Drew, I'm going to go quarterback position, a guy that we really like. That's Ethan Gronkemeyer out of Ohio, Olin Tangy. And this is a guy who's taken a big step forward from his junior season. And you look at Olin Tangy, team statistic here, 4-7 and seven last year. You want to know what they look like right now? 11-1. and one. Ethan Gronkemeyer, you got to give a lot of credit to Mike Yursich, the offensive coordinator at Penn State. We talked about Manny Diaz and how good of a job he's done under James Franklin. But how about Mike Yursich, Drew? It seems like the second straight year, second straight cycle, they have gone out and early ID'd and been a little bit ahead of the curve on everybody else outside of Tulane when it comes to Jackson Smolik, who they took in 2023. But Ethan Gronkemeyer is a guy who's continued to climb the ladder. He finished number seven for us in the Elite 11 Finals rankings that we had after seeing him out there in California. And Drew, he's had an exceptional year, over 3,200 yards passing, 68% completion rate, 274 yards per game. That's up by 50 yards from last year, 37 touchdowns, eight INTs. He had 25 touchdowns last year and eight INTs. So everything is up right now. And listen, throw the stats out the window. This is a guy you can take 10 
completion percentage points off of what he's done already. And I think we would really like the physical clay. So I look at Penn State's quarterback room, what they have post-Drew Aller. That's really kind of what gets me excited about the future of Penn State under James Franklin. Drew, I don't think they're going anywhere, right? And this is going to tie into our conversation here in a few minutes about the Big Ten. But I love this pickup for Penn State. He's got one of the more impressive spray charts, I think, in the 2024 cycle. And if you actually go to his highlights from the senior season, it's like 60 throws. I mean, it's like literally every completion he's got this season. And, and could, we've talked so much about him. I, I thought you had already highlighted him as one of your favorite guys as a scouting crush, but maybe not. Maybe it was me talking about him on CBS Sports HQ. Hey, look, Penn State is turning into a program when they put out that quarterback offer. you got to – all right, I want to see what this kid's about because you're right. They are finding and identifying these guys. And you know what's also impressive about Penn State is they're not afraid to move on from someone that, you know, maybe isn't panning out like they thought they would. There's a quarterback in the DMV that Penn State was in on very early in the process who hasn't had the best of senior seasons. And I think if you put Grunkmeyer next to him, it's clear which one has the higher ceiling. So uh, I echo your statement for James Franklin and his staff. They're doing a great job at that position. Hey, so nice. I liked him twice, right? little shout-out, little love for <laughs> Ethan Grokemar. All right, Drew, Kentucky commit, former Michigan commit. This guy's been playing with his hair on fire all season. Who you got? Uh, Jared Gerard Smith, excuse me. I always get him and his twin brother confused. We mentioned on Tuesday's episode, right, Kentucky, what they're doing in the front seven. They're just finding these guys with traits. Gerard and his twin brother, they're well-traveled. We're at two different schools in Connecticut. All of a sudden, right before their senior season, they're in the Bluegrass State. Then they decommit from Michigan, flip over to Kentucky. And I think this is a guy that is going to make plays in the SEC. His senior tape, he comes screaming around the edge. I think 17 tackles for loss in 10 games during the regular season. That was tied for the third most in the state of Kentucky. Um, a little short-armed, but I'm not concerned about it just because how he plays with that motor, can retrace, get after the quarterback, 474 in the 40-yard dash, 448 in the shuttle. More importantly, 719 in that three-cone drill just shows he's able to change directions and he can do it really fast. Coop, I don't know if you also saw this. Him and his twin brother got an NIL deal over the weekend or a few days ago from a car dealership, leased cars. Man, 2023, wild time to be alive. It's a great time to be alive if you're the Smith brothers, man, cashing in early in Kentucky. Drew, this guy, we talked about Reuben Bain, we talked about Peter Woods, and we talked about what has allowed them to really thrive early in their college careers as freshmen at the next level. And we talked about the motor, we talked about the get-off, and we talked about the ability, speed to power, and playing with heavy hands. I think Gerard Smith has all three of those traits. So if you're looking for a guy right now to buy stock in at the next level that's going to play early, we're going to have Chris Hummer on a little later in the show. This is a guy who usually highlights you know, who are the freshmen to look out for. I would say Gerard Smith is one of those guys. His brother's not too bad either. Drew, I'm going to stick on the front seven and in the defensive line. I'm going to go with Clemson commit Darian Mayo out of good counsel in Maryland. How about this, Drew? Six foot eight and a quarter, 250 pounds. He's got a six foot 10 plus wingspan, 36 plus inch arms. And this is a guy that just continues to kind of grow into his own. We put him in the top 247 last update in October. You see him standing up, playing in the two point stance. He's going to play in a four down front at Clemson, going to be more of a traditional five technique. Drew, this is one of those developmental takes, I think, under Nick Eason that you can see it coming. It might take two or three years for the light to come on, but in terms of the physical clay, 
it's really hard to find that type of length, that type of body coordination, the way that he can bend the edge. He needs to play a little bit more physical, but I love what I've seen from Darian Mayo. This is one of my favorite guys really in the cycle. I kind of have him asterisk, Drew. That's one of these guys I want to study over the next three to four years and kind of see how he pans out. I, I believe we're getting him in the Under Armour game. I think that's going to be a key evaluation. Now, I saw him at that camp in Baltimore. I thought it was like an NBA player, right? I always say this. Six foot six, people think is tall, but like six eight, you are noticeably stand above others. And I was kind of blown away. Hey, I like Clemson's recruiting class in general, right? They're taking a lot of flack from all different directions about the transfer portal, but you, you – Brought up Darian Mayo, went into that commit list. They have a lot of their guys in that class that are having really good senior seasons. Christian Bentoncourt, the tight end out of Illinois, uh, just set a bunch of records. He's etched in the IHSAA record book. Tavoy Fagan, seven interceptions this season. Ashton Hampton, he's got three interceptions, over 700 yards receiving. And Clemson's going to need these guys to play, right? They're, you know, We'll see if they get in, into the transfer portal. But I do think there's some guys in Clemson's class that might be ready to go day one. And that is big for the Tigers because we've seen it this year in 2023. I mean, some of the less heralded recruits have been thrust into action. And I do think Clemson still does an excellent job of finding program fits. Yeah, interesting month ahead for Clemson. We'll see what happens. The transfer portal, transfer portal palooza that you can find on 247sports.com. That opens on December 4th, just right around the corner. Drew. The next topic I'm fired up about because it usually gets everybody's panties in a wad a little bit when we're talking about, hey, who are the best recruiting programs over the next four to five years? What's the criteria for that? Well, your brand recognition, who's your current head coach, circumstantial as well, what's happening within that program, the win-loss, everything goes into that. So, Drew, I don't even know. It's not a Power 5 anymore, right? I guess it's a Power 4. Pac-12's out of there. So we are going to start with the Big Ten in the SEC, the way this will go. I will, almost like the CFP committee last night on Tuesday, I will pick my four programs at top of the Big Ten. Drew will have his, and then we'll kind of talk about the first team that we had out. And Drew, for me, there it is, Ohio State at the top of the future Big Ten recruiting power rankings, whatever you want to call them. Oregon at number two. That might be a shock to some USC at number three. And Penn State at number four. Drew, the first one out for me was Michigan. I think Four right there between Penn State and Michigan. I think you could go either way. But at the top, Drew, Ohio State, that one seemed rel uh, relatively easy for me. It was a shoe and You kind of look at what Ohio State has done. It's all about what have you done for me lately. The last three years, number four, number four, and number two, each time atop of the Big Ten. Drew, I don't think Ohio State's going anywhere. I think Ryan Day, Mark Pantone, the associate AD, friend of the pod, had him on the show. They do a great job. They continue to evolve. I talked about this with Bud Elliott on the Cover 3 podcast. They were a team that I think was a little bit slower to pivot in the NIL era, but I think they've done a good job. We'll see what happens with Jeremiah Smith. That is obviously uh, the biggest priority for Ohio State to keep him in the class. But the Justin Scott recruitment was a little bit of an eye-opener for me for Ohio State in a good way. kind of shows me where they're going. Oregon, right here, I think this is probably where you're going to get the, the, the biggest pushback, but... I love what Dan Lanning has done on the recruiting trail. I love the way that he has addressed both sides of the line of scrimmage. I think, Drew, they're in the mix for arguably the best defensive line haul in the country. I think they've done a really good job building organically through high school, supplementing it through the transfer portal. I think this is going to be one of the most dangerous teams in the country over the next three to four years. 
And with USC, I wouldn't even call USC down right now, but vulnerable, right? Going through a coordinator change. I think Dan Lanning is very well positioned to take advantage of that. Now you have Oregon heading into the Big Ten. I think the other thing is the timeliness of this, right? We talked a little bit about NIL, its place in Oregon's program. Phil Knight is so invested in that program, and they might only have one big donor, but they got the right one, right, with the head of Nike and Phil Knight. Drew, USC, to me, I don't think they're going anywhere, but I think they're in a little bit of not turmoil, a little bit of flux, right? They got to get it right. And USC is also one of those programs very easily at any point can flip off, flip up the switch and they can be right there with Ohio State. And then lastly, Penn State. Drew, I just love the way James Franklin recruits, especially on the offensive side of the ball, the defensive side of the line of scrimmage as well. They've done an exceptional job there. I'd like to see more at the skill position outside of the running back and tight end room. I think the receiver room's got to step up. And Drew, you talk about it all the time. I love what they're doing in that secondary. So Michigan wasn't far off from being uh, my pick there at number four. But I love the way that these four teams recruit and really excited about Oregon, Ohio State not going anywhere. And I think Penn State just kind of knows who they are. So without further ado, that was my four. I'll let you introduce your four and then we can kind of go back and forth on this. Well, I don't know if I got a first one out. I kind of scribbled some names here, so we'll see if the production has got it. Uh, no, our list is pretty similar. I got Ohio State at the top. Uh, they're followed by USC, Oregon, then Michigan. If my first one out would probably be Penn State. Also kind of tossed UCLA, Nebraska in there. Coop, I, I took maybe a little bit more of a different approach with this. I know you focused on what you're doing for me now, I'm thinking long-term, right? All right, let's 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 remove maybe, you know, the immediate short future. What does it look like in the next three to four or five years down the line? I think for me, Ohio State, it's the brand name, right? They're getting guys drafted. You look at the state of Ohio, averaging roughly 10 draft picks a year. Why is that important? Mark Pantone came on our podcast back during the summer months and said, hey, Ohio State realized we got to pivot a little bit, right? Just with this current NIL landscape, we're going to still recruit nationally, but we realize we need guys in our backyard. And to me, the Buckeye State produces NFL talent. So I just think with the brand, the recognition, the fan base, Ohio State's clear cut number one. Now where we defer here, I got USC ahead of Oregon. And this kind of goes back to the, the home base. And I think Oregon, I love it. You just mentioned Nike. They are aligned from an NIL standpoint. They got one of the top collectives in the country. But at the end of the day, Oregon, that state produces just three NFL draft picks a year, according to draft data from the past five NFL drafts. It's just not a region where a ton of players come out of. Thankfully for them, they have found Dan Lanning, who has been able to go nationally. And I know we saw Willie Taggart do that a little bit. We saw Mario Cristobal do it. And now Dan Lanning has ramped it up and gone to another level. Uh, But I think USC, you know, Lincoln Riley, we're still trying to figure out what they want to do on the defensive side of the ball. You can't avoid the fact that there's 21 draft picks that come out of the state of California every year. I think with it being in L.A., major market, NIL, uh, that's why I have them number two. And then for me, number three, Michigan, you know, Coop, they don't seem to always be in the conversation with the five stars, but they're the most dangerous with the guys at the back end of the top two, four, seven. I mean, how many guys does Michigan have selected in April in that NFL draft where you're like, wow, look at this guy who they developed. You know, he was in the program four to five years, went through that strength. 
Um, to me, you know, we're seeing it this season. They're one of the top teams out there. I just love how they construct the roster. I think even if Jim Harbaugh were to leave and go off to the NFL, whoever steps in is going to have a same similar vision. They're willing to get it, uh, get it done from all different angles, you know, pun intended, maybe a little bit, but you know, there's a ton of support there for Michigan. So those are my, my four, I said, uh, Penn state right on the outside. I kind of agree with you there. And then UCLA to me stands out kind of the same thing as USC, just with the location. I think what makes those programs attractive, we talk about transfers, right? It's a warm weather. It's like a a pro city. You know, when you're recruiting these veterans, you can tell them, hey, spend six months here, right? You don't have to go to classes after that. And you can go right into your draft prep down the road. So, uh, and then the last one I kind of wrote down, Nebraska. We'll see what Matt Rule's able to do. Uh, I don't know if they're going to break into that top four, but I do think, you know, with the dated brand a little bit, um, you know, they deserve a, a shout out. I've always compared the college football transfer portal almost to like NBA free agency, right? Where do these guys flock to? L.A., Miami, I think if you're in one of those states, California, Florida, it kind of makes sense a little bit, Drew. Not a lot of, I would say, uh, variance in terms of our picks. I do agree. I think USC, what's funny about USC is if you're going just based off a of brand recognition, I wouldn't argue with you at all. I think you could actually make a pretty solid argument for them to be number one. I think it would be hard uh, to overcome Ohio State, but they should be number two. That's kind of my point. USC should be number two. I think Oregon has really just kind of out-executed them at this point. At any point, I think Lincoln Riley can get USC going. We'll see. Maybe it's a matter of time, but as of right now, that's where it stands. Andrew and I's picks on the Big Ten. Now the SEC, we go. Drew, and you want to talk about variants? Absolutely none here from the Oyster Boys. Drew, at the top for both of us, I'll just say it because we have the same four. Georgia, number one. Alabama, number two. Florida, number three. Texas, number four. I was surprised here, brother. I know we think alike, but I was surprised to to think and then see that we had the top four. Drew, what was your reasoning? Even though it sounds crazy, you might have to explain this, but what was your reasoning for Georgia at number one? State of Georgia, 21.6 draft picks a year over the past five years. I, they seem to have it figured out, right? It, it, Kirby, not I'm saying he's overtaken Saban, but he's leveled it up, right? And if you look at the recruiting class rankings over the past few years, who's the one signing the top class, right? It's, it's Georgia. And then take a glance at this 2024 cycle. They're essentially drafting whoever they want. And that felt like that in the 2023 cycle as well. I think the facilities there in Athens are excellent. I think the coaching staff doesn't get talked about enough. Uh, the continuity with that group and the player development inside that group. I mean, Kirby Smart doesn't want developmental guys because at Georgia, they're going to over-recruit developmental guys. So you're going to come in and you're going to play. And if you don't play, you're going to exit and you're going to go be a a treasure for another program. We've seen that every single year, uh, a guy go leave Georgia and go somewhere else and make an impact. So to me, Georgia, easy, number one. What about you, Coop? Yeah, I woke up thinking – the same thing that you just said. I said, okay, easy number one. Georgia right now, they have their number one ranked recruiting class in 2024. And then I looked at Alabama, right? And this is where you and I might differ a little bit. But what have you done for me lately? Really, what have you done for me the last 17 years? Let's take a look at Nick Saban, the Dark Lord. Number one, number two, number one. I think you're splitting hairs. You look at Georgia, number two, number three, number four. They're not far off, right? Once you get to the top there, you're talking about the top three teams in the country. 
that's where a lot of other programs say, you know what, I would do anything to have that class. And I think Georgia and Alabama, you can swap them out at times. To me, Andrew, I think this is about going forward. Kirby Smart, back-to-back consecutive national championships. I think what they're doing on the recruiting trail, that's starting to show up a little bit more. You might be thinking, uh, how is that just starting to show up? It's not. But now you see Georgia number one right there. I don't know, Drew. I think um, it makes me think a little bit differently because of the conversation that we had yesterday about Nick Saban, right? Is he going anywhere? Right when I think he's losing a little bit of steam, he brings me back in and I'm like, I don't think this guy's really going anywhere. So to me, this was like a 51-49 split. I think these two teams are going 12 rounds. They're built the same way. Obviously, we all know the relationship between Nick Saban and Kirby Smart. They have the same tenacity, but I'm going to go with the younger version of Nick Saban that's got a lot of energy and a guy that looks like he's going to do this for a long time and it doesn't look like he's slowing up anytime soon. I'm going to go with Kirby Smart there. Drew, we talked about Alabama. Coop, yeah, go ahead. Can I, can I add this on something I've thought about, right? And I believe I tweeted it out, I don't know, a year ago, and I think Pate talked about it on, on his show. Just being down here in South Florida, right, dealing with the different high schoolers and the handlers and all that stuff, it still feels like, or it felt at the time, like the one offer, right, when a coach was like, no, my guy's a guy because he got that Alabama offer. And I still kind of feel it's that way. So that would have me thinking, is, is, is Alabama the answer? But I'll feel like recently there's been a little bit of a change. Now it's, well, my guy's got that Georgia offer. It seems like that's leveled up to Alabama. Alabama's the pinnacle offer to have, right? Your kid gets that offer. I'm a kid. I got that offer. I got it from Nick Saban in Alabama. But the back-to-back national titles, what Georgia has done in the NFL draft, it seems like it's almost pulled it right, you know, right to the same. And I think there's an opportunity for Georgia – maybe move past Alabama at some point. So I think that's another interesting perspective when we talk about these two programs. I think when you bring in geography into it and you bring in NIL again, we we talk about that. But you think about Florida, right? We're going to touch on them in a second. Right now they're ranked number three in the composite team rankings. Florida State right behind them at number four, right? And then you got Miami at number 11. Things in the Sunshine State are a little bit tighter than what they've been in the past. I also think about that in the state of Georgia. You think about Alabama. We talk about Peter Woods. We talk about Tamari and Parker. Both those guys are from the state of Alabama. Recruiting's different than it used to be even four or five years ago when it comes to geography. I think that kind of plays into it a little bit more as well. All right, Drew, Florida at number three. I, I found this both fascinating that each of us would have Florida here at number three. I think Billy Napier and his staff are so committed to the talent ID an evaluation process right now because that's kind of the culprit of their program. They're sitting at five and four. The results have yet to show up on the field. This is kind of their identity of who they are and who they're going to be. They got to get Florida back to a perennial top five recruiting program in the country. They're sitting there at number three right now. DJ Lagway, the crown jewel of that class. LJ McCray up there as well. Drew, they finished number 13 last year, but guess what? Looks can be deceiving. A lot of those young guys playing well. We talked a lot about Jordan Castell yesterday, freshman of the week. How about Eugene Wilson, Kelby Collins, right? A lot of young guys kind of in the hopper that we feel really good about. I love, I love what Florida's got coming down the pipe here. And then you throw in this 2024 class, Drew, like top to bottom, you can see the vision. The biggest question is, can they figure it out on the field? But in terms of recruiting, I got a lot of confidence in what Billy Napier is doing. 
So if we're looking at this in terms of what it can be, right, I think Florida's got to be on the list. Go back to what Urban Meyer was able to do when he was there, right? Florida sitting top five in the recruiting class rankings right now after not having an excellent season one for Billy Napier. And season two hasn't gone as good as the, you know, some had hoped it would. And that class is still together. I mean, the state of Florida, and we've seen Billy Napier, and we've seen other people do it in the past. They can recruit nationally, right? They can go out to Texas. They've gone to California before. They can get up into Georgia, Alabama. Some of the top players that have worn a Florida uniform have come from there. But I think really why they just need to be there is just how much talent the Sunshine State produces every year. 30 draft picks per cycle on average over the past five years coming out of the Sunshine State. That's only behind Texas where it's 31. I just think regardless of whoever is running the show there in Gainesville, the opportunity and the runway is there. We know the NIL supports there. We saw what everyone, you know, the numbers that were out there for Jaden Rashada. And you look at this recruiting class, LJ McCray, that's a that's a massive win. Some of these defensive linemen, other defensive linemen, they got committed. So to me, I, th- I think Florida has to be in the top four. Maybe it's a little surprising to some that it's behind Alabama and Georgia. Maybe uh, another program not there. But I, I think for it's for a number of different reasons. And it starts with the geography and then the alignment from the fan base. Yeah, I'm glad you touched on the alignment. I think Florida is one of those teams. I talked about Ohio State really kind of being uh, course correcting over the last year. I think Florida has done that well. They were in the headlines for all the wrong reasons when it came to NIL. Last year, it seems to be the opposite this year. Drew, how about number four? Both of us have Texas, right? You want to talk about the odd man out. It could be an A&M. It could be Oklahoma. It could be LSU. Both of us riding with Texas here. Two consecutive back-to-back top five classes over the last two years for Steve Sarkeesian. Drew, I think that's been a huge, obviously it goes without saying, a huge part of kind of the resurgence here in year three for Steve Sarkeesian in Texas, what they've been able to do in the recruiting trail. Thinking about guys like C.J. Baxter, bringing in guys like Xavier Worthy, Ryan Wingo, big win that they got over Missouri as well. I think the thing that they got to keep doing right now, because you think about Texas, number 13 currently as it stands, that top-end talent, you got to keep bringing it in. And I think about Texas and that defense, what they've done in the defensive line. But how about Anthony Hill? Been a complete game-changer for them as well. Malik Muhammad, another guy. These freshmen are paying huge dividends for Texas early. I like Texas here. I was close with going with A&M. I thought Oklahoma was another team you could consider. They're recruiting really well under Brent Venables. But Texas, at the end of the day, we talk about alignment. We talk about being all in. I think the investment in this program starting next year, I think everybody already knows what they got coming ahead of them joining the SEC, but I think they just got a little bit of a taste of it now. Wait till they get there next year. And I think this is going to be a team that is going to be heavily involved for the discussion for top five recruiting classes year in and year out. I think for me, why I put them there is the Arch Manning recruitment. I think that says a lot when you take a step back and you think about it. I mean, Arch Manning didn't, have ties to UT. They just did an excellent job of recruiting him, right? Remember the report that came out about that official visit and how much money it costs to, to host him and all those other recruits? I I don't know. That's that's what pushed it over the edge. Obviously, like I said, the Lone Star State turns out more NFL guys a, a year than anywhere else. And we've seen Texas and Florida. You brought it up with C.J. Baxter. They've gotten some other guys. They've got into IMG Academy a little bit in the past. Coop, who are the other teams that you had here? Because you have not mentioned one. And I'm interested why you haven't. LSU. Uh, they were 
they were considered for me for that fourth spot. I also had Tennessee, and I think to your point, back two years ago, they signed the highest ranked recruiting class ever under Jimbo Fisher in that 2022 cycle. So, who else were you considering for four? The SEC is just absolutely brutal. I and, and listen, we talk about like circumstantial. The only reason I took Texas A&M out of this is because of what we've seen on the field. It just seems like there has been a little bit of a cloud over the program for the last two years, and you wonder. Okay, when is it time? When is it time for A&M and Jimbo Fisher to go their own direction? I think that time is soon. It might not be this year, but I think it could be over the next calendar year or so. Uh, LSU, to me, Drew, is a fascinating one. I think they've recruited the state of Louisiana well. I think Brian Kelly, I don't want to say has outperformed expectations, but he has been good. He has not been great, in my opinion, right? You look at that defense – at LSU, you want to look at that game against Alabama this past week. They, they're coming up short defensive line recruiting. This is going to be their third defensive line coach in, in three years. I understand that they can't control the situation with Jimmy Lindsey. I think linebacker recruiting leaves a lot to be desired. And they're not who they used to be. That's a place they call DBU. They're not even close, right? And I know we like some of the DB, DBs they got coming. I like some of the young guys that they have. But I think they're going to have to really kind of restructure their whole – entire defensive side of the football when it comes to coaching staff. Even if you keep Matt House there, you need a new defensive line coach, and I think they got to clean out the secondary there as well. So I think LSU leaves a little bit to be desired. I think they're doing well, but I also think LSU can be a perennial program. All these teams have top five potential. That's what makes this conference just crazy. And then you add Texas and Oklahoma to it as well. Brent Venables has done a tremendous job. So my first one out was actually OU. It wasn't Texas A&M. But if A&M, if they got the right guy in there, there's no disrespect to Jimbo Fisher, if they got the right guy in there, I think A&M can be an absolute problem uh, because we've seen what they're capable of. So it just depends whether or not that's going to happen. And then Tennessee, they I, are very aligned from an off-the-field standpoint. I love Tennessee, but how crazy is it that Tennessee might be the sixth program that you talk about, right? And I still think that Tennessee is one of those teams that – the more they play better on the field, the, on, the, the recruiting results match it. Like, I think Tennessee is a big up arrow of a program in terms of what we're talking about recruiting. I still think their best football is out ahead of them as well. So there you have it. Big Ten, SEC, a lot to talk about. One of our favorite subjects to talk about. Recruiting power rankings of the future. Also, a quick little promo here. Every Monday and Thursday, you can watch the College Football Recruiting Show with the great Emily Proud and Blair Angulo. Live every Monday and Thursday at 5 o'clock Eastern time. They do an unbelievable job over there. And uh, we're going to steal one of their guests from the College Football Recruiting Show because it is time for, guess what, new segment, The Vibe Check. Maybe presented by Bucky's. We don't know. We might have to make that call after the show. Chris Hummer, National College Football Reporter. Welcome to the show, the Transfer Palooza, December 4th. It's getting ready to start, my friend. How are you doing? How's your mental makeup? What does the next 30 days look like for you? And uh, is the phone ringing off the hook right now? I mean, hopefully a lot of beaver nuggets if you're going to get sponsored by Bucky's. <laughs> I'm just going to, I'm going to need that injected into my veins for energy here over the next couple of months. Uh, but it's looking busy, man. This is about the time of year where you're making a lot of calls, just checking around to see the vibe of people, uh, both with programs and players, uh, see where they could go and, I uh, just trying to put the puzzle together because we're about to have 
probably 2,000 plus players on the move here in about a month. Uh, so it gets it gets hectic pretty quick. It's pretty crazy to uh, wrap your head around. I know we're a recruiting show, and if you're watching the show and you're wondering why we're talking about the transfer portal, well, that's one way to build a roster as well. Chris, I want to get started here with Boise State receiver Eric McAllister and kind of bring everybody into the light. This is a pretty, pretty interesting situation. Just wanted to get your thoughts on it. Boise State's leading receiver, leading receiver this season, also a newcomer to the Belikanoff watch list. His last game against Fresno State, he had 19 targets, reeled in eight of them. The sophomore at Boise State has already declared that he will be in the transfer portal next month. Boise, they're four and five, a little bit of context here. That's their worst start since 1997. I think it's also fair to say we don't know about Andy Avalos' future there as well. So things aren't exactly... Uh, I would say perfect in Boise, uh, but this came as a little bit of a surprise. What do you think about this situation? And is this the start of something that we see a lot more of in college football? I don't know if we see a ton of it, to be honest, because at the end of the day, like Boise State's three and two in the Mountain West. Like they're not out of the conference uh, title race in the Mountain West right now. Um, it's unlikely they push themselves there, but they still have an outside chance. And I don't think you're going to see a lot of players essentially give up on a chance to win a conference championship. Um, this isn't new. We saw Kelly Bryant kind of kick off the transfer portal era back in 2018 by choosing to sit after four games once Davos Sweeney named Trevor Lawrence a starter. He announced he was going in the portal before the portal ever really even existed. He went in the portal officially a month later, and he was kind of the first guy uh, to do this midseason redshirt. And we, we certainly see a little bit of it. But in this era where you can't enter the portal as an underclassman until the portal window opens in early December, there isn't generally a huge benefit for essentially shutting things down unless you're protecting yourself from injury. So I don't think we'll see a ton of Eric McAllister situations, but you have to admit it is a bit advantageous for Eric McAllister to essentially push himself to the front of the line in terms of wide receiver recruiting. But there are also ways to do that from a back channel perspective that don't uh, don't result in you essentially uh, stopping your season and giving up on your team. Chris, didn't Hank Bachmeyer do this at Boise State as well? Didn't he do something similar? I thought where he announced, I, maybe maybe I'm wrong there. Um, here's my question when it comes to McAllister. Is there any disadvantage to him by doing this? I mean, couldn't Boise State, in theory, you know, get their collectives in order and, and bring him back? I mean, he's. it just seems like he's raising his price. I think the disadvantage is just how you're perceived. Um, and if he wants to go to the NFL one day, I don't think scouts always look favorably on somebody stopping midseason. Um, but there are certainly advantages, as I said before, about kind of getting out ahead of this and pushing your name out there. Um, if you want to talk about schools he could potentially go to, I've heard he wants to be closer at home. He's in Azle, Texas. Uh, his hometown is Azle, Texas, which is like 30 minutes uh, northwest of Fort Worth. So I think you're talking about teams like TCU, Texas Tech, Oklahoma, potentially as natural fits. But there are a ton of also just like needy uh, wide receiver teams in the Power Five. And he has something at six foot, I believe he's six foot four, but a lot of guys at receiver won't have in the portal in that size. Um, so while I don't necessarily think he'll be a fit at a place like Alabama or even in Georgia, I think there are a ton of teams that need somebody like him as a big X on the outside. He's going to have a ton of interest. So he's... He is definitely pushing himself up to the top of the list in terms of uh, players that are top of mind for teams right now. 
Chris, uh, the, the NC State situation with MJ Morris, if you're not familiar with that, sophomore quarterback takes over for Brennan Armstrong, plays four games, which I'll get to that in a second, goes three and one. They beat Miami, they beat Clemson. I think NC State's, what, six and three now. Decides that he's going to redshirt for the rest of the season. Also saw a quote from his father that says, this doesn't necessarily mean that he's transferring, but I have a hard time believing that MJ Morris would redshirt, sit out the rest of the season. Dave Doran would be good for him going back to scout team quarterback after their three and one over that stretch. And now he's not transferring. What's the latest you hear on MJ Morris? Well, I mean, that's another situation where like NC State's not likely to make the ACC championship game, but they weren't out of it. Um, and I got that reaction from a couple people uh, around the country when I asked. Um, a lot of people pointing out that they were three and one with MJ as a starter. Um, but MJ Morris is somebody that last offseason, a lot of teams were circling nationally after NC State added Brennan Armstrong. There were multiple schools tampering with MJ Morris in the spring transfer portal window, trying to get him to go in, including those in the SEC. So he is somebody that's looked at as a potential additive element um, in quarterback rooms. I think there are some concerns um, about some of his mechanics this year and the way he's played overall, but um, it's hard to really make a judgment of that without knowing the entire situation for some of these schools, scouting him from the outside, and nobody can obviously talk to him officially um, unless he enters the portal. Um, but I would agree with you, Cooper, if you're making a move like this at this point in the season with NC State playing as well as it was before, I think you're setting up a pretty clear bat signal that the portal is very likely. Uh, MJ Morris, I remember his recruitment. He was injured. I, I think he's a, either a junior or senior, and that kind of reset things, and he ended up at NC State. He also played as a freshman there in, in Raleigh. Uh, Chris, everyone wants to talk about quarterbacks in the transfer portal. I mean, I'm not going to put you on the spot here, right? But are there some other names that you think could potentially enter, and do you expect this to be – a crazy wild cycle because most of these schools want to get their guys in for spring practices. Like that is the ideal scenario. They enroll in the winter. They can go through workouts, get those 15 sessions. I mean, is there some other names potentially out there that you think it would make sense for them to enter? Well, quarterback's an interesting position because they have more leverage than any other player on their teams, perhaps outside of offensive linemen and edge rushers and probably including them as well. And I think you're going to see a lot of quarterbacks push their schools and push their collectives. Um, but if I'm talking about guys that I think have a really good chance of entering um, that schools would really be interested in, I think you can go back to names atop last cycle. Um, we remember Grayson McCall going the portal, right? Like we remember him almost committing to Auburn and having to pull that back because of some academic issues. Well, Grayson McCall still has another year. And I would not be shocked at all if Grayson McCall decided to explore his options. We talked a lot about Michael Pratt this time last year, Tulane's quarterback. Um, he never went in the portal. But he told me in July that he knows coming into this year that if he didn't have the season he wants and he can't go to the NFL, Michael Pratt has the option to use his next two years somewhere else and potentially explore his options. Those are two names I'd keep an eye on. I think the Mississippi State situation is one to monitor. Uh, Zach Arnett is certainly on the hot seat right now. Um, that season has not gone the way I think Will Rogers would have liked it to go. I think that situation is a little bit of flux depending on what happens with that coaching job. But I think Will Rogers is a name a couple of schools have circled as a possibility. Um, there are certainly some others that you hear rumors about, but those are three, I think, that if they entered the portal 
would be at the top of almost everybody's list. Yeah, we've alluded to Zach Arnett, four and a half million dollar buyout there. We'll see what happens. New AD, a lot of a lot of things to consider there if you're a Mississippi State fan, and then Will Rogers as well. Chris, one more question. We'll get you out of here. But what's a, what's the vibe like? I'm mean, talking to, to some of these personnel staffers around the country for the last few months. And, you know, the other thing I want to give context to is, you know, I, I, talking to some people in the game, it's like, how do you enforce it, right? We all talk about, oh, they can't legally contact. Yeah, McAllister is not in the transfer portal unless he's had these discussions. I'm not going to go there with Morris, but I, I doubt that as well. This is something that you talk to people in the game. I mean, it, you believe it to be rampant, right? It's just, it's as common as anything else in college football. But I would say, I mean, it's got to, it's got to feel pretty crazy for these guys knowing that this is kind of common knowledge that it's happening all over the country. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not trying to equate the Michigan situation with anything else. Like obviously it's a different breed, but like cheating is like breathing in college football in a lot of ways. <laughs> like if you're not doing it, you're probably dead. Um, and you're going to get fired. Um, and if you're not if you're not using your back channels and you're not exploring your options right now and you're not asking as many people possible about who could enter and starting to put your board together, you're way behind. That's just the reality of the situation. Um, I think in a lot of ways, those guys in recruiting and personnel departments right now um, have a pretty similar job to what I do and what a lot of people in our industry does. They're trying to gather as much information as possible and they're trying to understand kind of the uh, the foundation of what will be the transfer portal cycle this year. You can't prepare for everything. I had somebody explain it to me this way. You certainly can't prepare for everything, but you can have seven or eight contingency plans to make sure you're ready for when it happens. And if you're not aggressively and aggressively working through a board and you're not putting the hypotheticals together to be ready for who could potentially go on the portal and who you think might go on the portal, um, you're going to lose in December. It's one thing, I think, to prepare and have your board ready and have seven or eight contingency plans. The other part of this that makes it so fascinating and really kind of funny is, I mean, you got to have your own budget, your own salary cap ready for these guys as well, right? The money component obviously factors in there as well. Chris Hummer, we appreciate you jumping on with the Oyster Boys today. Follow Chris Hummer on Twitter. You'll see him over the next month. That is a name you better get familiar with. The Transfer Portal window, the first one that opens up December 4th. Guys, we appreciate you watching. As always, new episodes every Tuesday and Wednesday, 5 o'clock Eastern time. For the Director of Scouting, Andrew Ivins, I'm Cooper Patagna. We'll see you next week.